Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my very Maddie Mac co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Faith, it's a Monday. It is. You know, uh, we started this last week. What are we doing again, continuing this week? Mac Attack Mondays. And what show are we talking about during the Mac Attack True Detective Season 1. True Detective, wonderful piece of work. Uh, quick recap here. Episode 1 of True Detective, The Long Bright Dark, introduced us to Louisiana State Police Detectives Rustin Cole and Martin Hart, played by Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. The series begins in 1995 with Cole and Hart investigating the murder of prostitute Dora Lang. Lang's body is found nude and crowned with antlers outside of Erath, Louisiana. She is posed as if in prayer in front of a tree in a field with twig latticeworks around her, which we will be referring to from here on out as devil catchers. What do you think, Faith? I like it. I like it, too. The murder of Lang leads Cole and Hart to look into the disappearance of Marie Fontenot, a young girl who was initially reported missing but was then said to be living with her birth father somewhere on the Gulf Coast. Hart and Cole discover a devil catcher in Marie Fontenot's playhouse and begin to connect the two girls. The episode ends when Papania and Gilbo present Cole with evidence that the serial killer he allegedly apprehended in 1995 is still at large and is recently killed again. So, Faith, before we get into the second episode of True Detective, which is called Seeing Things, I want to ask you what you think of the series as a whole. So, if you recall, or for our listeners out there, for our introductory episode, you had only watched the first episode, The Long Bright Dark, mm-hmm. so that we could have an unspoiled view on the series now that you've seen it in its entirety what do you think of this series i think it's pretty brilliant i think it's amazing i think the storytelling is so good and there's this sense of this realness to it that's almost terrifying you know let's let's go ahead and say this this isn't in my notes Mm -hmm. um without giving too much about this away in our area here this past week we had some pedophiles arrested. Very close to me. That were that lived very close to you, very as in close. your neighborhood. As in the street behind me. The street behind you. Yes. This show is about that. Mm-hmm. That's a component of this show. <laughs> One of the things that you told me when you were doing your big watch of the show, mm-hmm. you texted me, this is too real. This is too real. It is. It's very real. It is. So I I just did my watch of this show, you know, right before you did. You did a watch. And then this happens. Mm-hmm. And 
I wanted to say this because not to bring anybody out there down, because this is not something that I like talking about. I this is my least favorite thing in the world to talk about because the bastards who do things like those bastards do, those devil ass bastards, take something that can't be given back. Exactly. And that's the most vile, despicable thing in the world to me. And, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but. It's a big part of this show, mm-hmm. and it's real, and it's out there. And the reason that I want to you know, say this and put this out there for people listening to hear is that be aware. Just oh, be yeah. aware. It, it, it makes it so much crazier, too, because I feel like we've had this discussion before on an episode where we've said you don't know who you can trust. I mean, your neighbors. Right. I mean, your old neighbors, you don't even know who they are. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's it's vile. It's vile and disgusting. It and makes the people, me sick. And the people in our area who were picked up for this, uh, school teacher and policeman. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't trust those two people, who can you trust? Who can you trust, right? And uh, anyway... The only and like I said, the only reason that we bring that up is because that that happened a few days here and cut us both really deep to the core, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not bringing this up for any kind of reason other than, hey, you people out there listening, this is real, you know. Yeah. This is this is real. Just be aware of it, you know, Absolutely. because the things that this show talks about, you can call it a conspiracy theory all you want. I can call you a coincidental theorist. These things happen, and it appears that these people are very possibly part of a network like we're getting ready yep. to talk about here. So yep. let's get into it. Let's get back to uh, more more warm and fuzzy things as it is. Let's get back to True Detective. Is, this, is anything in this warm and fuzzy Not all? really, no. <laughs> uh, so let's go back into the first episode a bit before we move on to talk about the tree that we see in the very beginning of the series. And we were just kind of talking about it. We're going to see this tree again at the end of the series. It's a really appropriate symbol for what Hart and Cole are dealing with. The ritualistic occult murder that they are investigating stems from the elites in the state that have roots in the land and are involved in religion, politics, and who knows what else. Faith, that's all the major seats of power, isn't Mm -hmm. isn't it? You can't see the roots, but they're all around you and a part of the landscape. Cole makes the comment that the world is all one ghetto, and I think that the area of South Louisiana they're working in can be seen as a microcosm of the macrocosm. The quote-unquote conspiracy, I just mentioned that, the conspiracy theory, okay? Mm -hmm. That's for lack of a better word. That's all around us, right under the surface, just like Faith and I were talking about. All you have to do is look around. It's there. It's there. So um, anyway, moving forward for the purposes of this show, we will be using the term elites. Uh, I suppose you could use the term Illuminati, but I prefer using the elites for this. What do you think? Is that kind of, I feel it's more appropriate I think, I was just about to say, I think so too. Okay. Um, So um, I have it right here in my notes. I get to call you a coincidental theorist if you call me a conspiracy theorist, but I guess I could jump the gun on that. So (laughs) here here it goes again. Uh, And this is not easy to hear, and I don't like talking about this, and we, we both do not like talking about this, but human trafficking child prostitution, ritualistic abuse, all of these things go hand in hand and they are happening all around us. Sometimes they make the news, as in the case of Jeffrey Epstein, too often they get covered up. This is not a new occurrence. This goes into the way, way, way back. We like to close our Wednesday shows out with old Satan clauses out there. 
He is, and I think this show does a great job of shedding light on all of this. This is why I said in our first episode that this is one of the most important shows that has ever aired on television, and I still, I'm really not sure how this got out if there's some kind of agenda, know. you know, driven media, which I think that there there is. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, with that said, now we can move on to seeing things. Uh, here's a brief synopsis, Faith. It's courtesy of who? Our friends at Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. It's not lazy. It's efficient. (laughs) So in 2012, Papania and Gilbo continue their interviews of Cole and Hart. Hart is divorced, and Cole confides that his daughter died after being involved in a car accident, leading to the collapse of his marriage and the beginning of his addiction. To avoid prosecution for killing a meth user who had injected his own infant child with the drug, Cole's superiors compelled him to be a floating drug undercover officer for four years until he was hospitalized in a psychiatric institution after shooting three cartel members and being wounded in the gunfight. After his release, Cole's request for another job resulted in his becoming a homicide detective with CID, where he was partnered with Hart. In 1995, Cole and Hart continued to investigate the murder of Dora Lang, and learns she was attending church prior to her disappearance. Cole deduces that Hart is cheating on his wife Maggie with Lisa Tragnetti, creating friction between the two. Cole is also experiencing hallucinatory synesthetic side effects due to his drug consumption and is contemptuous of Reverend Billy Lee Tuttle's lobbying for the creation of a special task force focusing on anti-Christian crimes to assist in the investigation. While buying drugs from a young prostitute, Cole is pointed towards a trailer park of runaway girls. The two find Lang's diary at the park and learn the location of the church, which was destroyed in a fire. While searching through the wreckage, they find on a wall a nightmarish painting of a woman with deer antlers. Faith, I already think I know the answer to this. What did you think of episode two, Seeing Things? What did you think I thought of it? I think you thought it was fabulous. You were absolutely right. Uh, this this whole series is absolutely fabulous. This whole season, every episode. Yes, it is. It's like one. It's like a movie almost. It's, it, it's yes. a story that just keeps going, and I feel like every single episode just hits the mark. And this one was so good. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I want to go ahead and say this because now you've seen the series, mm-hmm. so it's all fair game. What we're gonna be doing? We're gonna be playing a little loosey goosey with with. Uh, the episodes like we're going to be looking at it as a whole right. through the lens of whatever episode we happen to right. be on. So um, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the show. Uh, if you haven't, there will be quite a bit of spoilers. So um, anyway, but so it's everything is fair game on the table, although we're, we try to kind of limit right. it to the scope of, of where we're at and things that might tie in later. And I want to say this. I don't think this is in my notes. One of the things that I noticed in this episode, right at the beginning, they were talking about you have kind of off down days when you're working a case and they show McConaughey in bed by himself. And he's talking about how he thinks about his wife and daughter. They show Martin Hart played by Woody. He's in bed and the girls open up the windows. Do you remember this mm-hmm. in the bedroom? Yep. The color yellow comes through those windows and yellow is going to be so important moving forward with the yellow king and Carcosa and the idea that the psychosphere, the energy that is being put out in there is going to be influencing the world that our characters are in. So I just want to throw that out because that yellow comes into Martin Hart's bedroom and begins, as we're going to see later, really begins to affect his world, I think, more so than... uh, 
than Russ Coles mm-hmm. in in ways. So let's get into it. In this episode, we get into Coles' backstory and we learn that he has visions, he's, uh, chemical flashbacks, as he calls them, from his time in the HIDTA, High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. He spent four years undercover and his consumption has altered his brain chemistry. Now, I'm going to throw something out that I kind of alluded to. We both did last week. Mm-hmm. Cole has a touch of the mystical about him. Do you, do you agree? Yes. There seems to be a sixth sense to him, and I think of the visions as being a physical manifestation of his spiritual side, which he denies. I also think the character is incredibly empathic and wide open, whether due to his nature or the drugs doesn't really matter. Do you agree that Cole is empathic and does it seem like he's doing everything in his power to shut down these feelings? Oh, of course. I think that he's definitely empathic and I think him drinking and doing drugs is definitely his way of trying to shut down anything from coming in, you know, just kind of closing himself off. If you look at this, there's a lot of ways to look at this show, but if you look at this shows from the uh, spiritual side, from the metaphysical side of things, uh, empathy is a real thing. Uh, Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's a real thing, but there are people who are more attuned to empathy uh we call them impasse uh faith and i have talked about this on the show before we talked uh, on the hannibal episode about dr will graham has extreme empathy faith and i both deal with being hsp which is highly sensitive which in turn makes us highly empathic and we deal with this on a daily basis it is something uh this is just who we are. Mm-hmm. We This is not something that we can turn off. Now, I will say this in my lifetime, that when uh, I've always had uh, this, mm-hmm. and this is just something that you, you have. Um, right. Everybody has the capability. Some people are more hardwired into it, mm-hmm. you know, through brain chemistry or genetic makeup or whatever. Um, there's a lot of literature out there about it. And odds are you know someone who is empathic. You know, They might not talk about it too terribly See, I, I've much. I've always thought to maybe... Maybe almost everybody is, but like you said, they're not as tuned into stuff that they don't even. Right. You know what I mean? But I think maybe right. all humans have some type. Oh, we all you do. Know, just a hint of it. But some people, especially you and I, I feel like, you know, some people yes. are just more. And there are people out there it. who have it way, way more than than we do. Know. You know, oh, man. and uh, I can I can tell you this um, in my life, the feelings have gotten to, you know, when I was not really. And I've been this way my entire life, but you know they, they intensify as you get older, you know mm-hmm. thing, you know, and and, and all that. Uh, I I didn't know how to shut them off, and you know I drank, I would drink to to turn them off, mm-hmm. I, and uh, uh, sometimes to to great amounts of excess to turn them off. So when I see him doing this, I know exactly where well, he's at in his life. Right. Now, I mean, I did not have chemical visions like that. You know, I didn't have. Are you sure? The uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I do have mild synesthesia, though. He talks about that at one point, that, you know, uh, with colors. And mm-hmm. uh, when I hear certain pieces of music and musical tones, I, I literally feel color. Uh, I don't taste it like like he does, right. but I can uh, I can. And I have it very, very, very mild, very mild. Like and I've, I played music with someone who had it to a high degree and, and, and said it could be debilitating you know and we think of these mm-hmm. things empathy synesthesia you know if you don't have well if you don't have them to a high level you might think oh what a great blessing and eh, sometimes they're curses right. you know if you can't handle them or know mm-hmm. how to handle them properly but uh yeah so i mean i get that part of the character i think it's a really neat part of the character too that he's so kind of tuned into something right you know 
Yeah, I like that they, that there's something deeper. It's not just, you know, he's an alcoholic or drug head. You know, there's yeah. There's an actual reason. Good reasoning behind yeah. it too. Yeah. Um not that maybe there's ever a good reason to be an alcoholic, you know what I mean? But but no, there, I, there's No, I totally know. I know. Like you can look at it and go, "Okay, Right. Like, he's he's turning things off. You know, he's he's yeah. doing this for a reason. Because, you know. Yeah, and he and he accepts that at the end. I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, he definitely I think accepts that part of him. Do you feel like he's lying to himself? Because, you know, so much of this show the focus is on Russ Cole, and in these in this first episode you get the uh, he lays out that pessimism philosophy. In this episode, we learn that he has the synesthesia and he has these uh, visions, and it just adds to that as we said, that mystical allure of this guy. Um, do you think he's lying to himself? Possibly. I think he's hiding. I yeah. think he hides behind that pessimism. Yeah, I can see I th- that. And I said in the first episode, I believe that he's denying his hero's journey, his place as, as a hero. Uh, I stand by that. I think, you know, that Corinthians quote that he, he lays out, you know, he says, you know, we're all of one body. He's trying to be part of the body, mm-hmm. you know, I think Rust is trying to differ, uh, differentiate himself, you know, the individual and the, the, the part from the whole. I think there's something right. that this show says about that. And as we get more into it, maybe we'll figure out, we'll kind of see that more. But do you get the feeling, though, that he's, you know, he, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. He's denying himself as like the individual. He's trying to be a part of the whole and not who he yeah, is. Yeah, I get that for sure. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. So, well... He is just one character in this drama. There's another character who is lying to himself or at least finding a way to justify his bad behavior. Cole's partner, Martin Hart, played by Woody Harrelson. So as we did with McConaughey last week, we have a little bit of biography on Harrelson. You ready for this, Faith? Mm-hmm. Woodrow Tracy Harrelson was born July 23rd, 1961 in Midland, Texas. He moved to his mother's hometown of Lebanon, Ohio at the age of 12. He went to Hanover College in Indiana, where he crossed paths with Vice President Mike Pence before graduating with a B.A. in theater and English in 1983. Woody rose to fame portraying dim-witted bartender Woody Boyd on the classic NBC sitcom Cheers before successfully transitioning into feature films. Harrelson has been nominated for three Oscars, one for Best Lead Actor for The People vs. Larry Flint, and two for Supporting Actor for his appearances in the films The Messenger and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. He has excelled in both big and small movies. Some of his many credits include the Hunger Games films, White Men Can't Jump, Kingpin, Zombieland, and its sequel Double Tap, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and the Coen Brothers Academy Award-winning film No Country for Old Men. Faith Woody has been around a very long time. What do you think of him as a performer, and do you have a favorite role of his? I've always liked him for some reason. I don't know why. He has a um, very... I don't know. He feels very relatable or laid back, you know, (laughs) just laid back is the word I would use. (laughs) I think he's one of our great actors. You know, he's one of those guys like McConaughey. Yeah. He just kind of slides in, you know, and, and, and does the thing. And, and uh, my sister told me one time we were talking about uh, true detective, actually uh, the fact that Woody and McConaughey, you know, were in the show Mm -hmm. together and she, and she made a comment. She said, could you imagine if you put those two guys and like Jeff Bridges in a movie together (laughs) And like maybe Harrison Ford would be like the most laid back movie you've ever seen. Like just put him on a porch, you know, like <laughs> just a laid back film. I've, you know, I'm now I want to see that. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. 
I'm old enough to remember when he showed up on Cheers because we watched it. I remember the first night Woody showed up in America's living room, you know, and I fell in love with Woody Boyd, you know, immediately. I, mean, and I think he's one of my favorites. Yeah. I think he must be very intelligent because he plays dumb so mm-hmm. well, you know. <laughs> he really does. Uh, as far as the favorite role of mine, I there's so many that I like, but I'm very partial to him as Tallahassee That's, in Zombieland. I li- yeah, my notes say Zombieland and Cheers. <laughs> Zombieland <laughs> and Cheers. I just watched Zombieland like last week or the week before because I'm stupid apparently. And uh, yeah, it took me so long to watch it. I love it. <laughs> and I love him in it. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Um, so in the final episode of this series, the serial killer Errol Childress in his confrontation with Cole tells him to take off his mask. The series deals a lot with identity on the surface and underneath. And just like Cole seems to be in denial and hiding behind a mask of pessimism, Hart is also in denial about who he is. Do you, do you think that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So here's a clip. Here's a clip from the very first episode that I think highlights this. Here you go. You know, I, I've seen all the different types. We all fit a certain category. The bully, the charmer, the uh, surrogate dad, the man possessed by ungovernable rage, the brain. And any of those types could be a good detective, and any of those types could be an incompetent shitheel. Which type were you? Oh, I was just a regular type dude with a big ass dick. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so uh, we learn that uh, Hart is cheating on his wife with uh, Lisa Tragnetti, played by Alexandra Daddario. He justifies this by saying that it's for the good of the marriage. So we've talked a lot about Russ Cole so far, but we we haven't really hit on Martin Hart. What do you think of Martin? And do you agree that he's hiding behind a mask like Russ Cole is? I, I like him. Um, yeah, I definitely think he's hiding, though. I think he has just as many problems as Cole does. Yeah. And, you know, I think that whole family aspect is a, is a huge cover-up, I feel, you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, a man who justifies bad behavior by saying it's for the greater good, <laughs> that's a guy hiding. Yeah. That's a guy <laughs> hiding. Now, I like Martin Hart quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's a complete jackass. But let me tell you yes. something. When I, If the chips started falling down, I want him with me. <laughs> I want him on my side if something starts going yeah. down. Because I think he's... I do think there's decency in him. Mm-hmm. I just think that he is so just... He's too into it. You yeah. know, he's just too into it. But... You know, as as the series goes on, goes on, he changes too, and you see that real. I think really beautifully. Yeah, too. I, I think he starts off a little more close minded, you know, and then that kind of starts to change a little bit as it goes on. Yes, it does, and there's literally a scene where he opens his eyes, and we're going to talk about that as we get uh, to episode seven when he sees the videotape, and you know the videotape I'm talking about, but that is where it really. Yeah really changes but uh but mask and identity is really a big part of this series because they're literally looking for the identity of the killer they're looking for the identity of that first girl they're looking you know and uh they maybe find out who they are along the way Mm -hmm. a little bit too so well cole takes offense at the reverend Tuttle pushing for a special task force to investigate what they're calling anti-christian crimes and at the end of the episode cole and hart discover the figure with a crown of deer antlers on the wall of the burned out church. So 
were you seeing it here that this thing that we're, we've talked about that thing, mm-hmm. the, the thing the elites are into is everywhere. And do you think like I do that in real life, there is controlled opposition like we have here with the task force. Yes. And, um, and for our listeners out there who might not fit, put it together, what, what I'm saying here is that the, uh, one of the perpetrators of this vile, awful, despicableness is putting a task force in place to oversee the investigation of vile, awful despicableness. You see things like this throughout history with controlled opposition. You mm-hmm. see it in drama in movies with uh, the best example I can think of is the star Wars prequel trilogy where you see that emperor Palpatine is controlling both sides of the conflict. He wins either way. That's a great example uh, of George Lucas distilling historical things down into uh, Mm -hmm. ways, easy ways for us to understand. So you think that there is controlled opposition out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of funny because I wrote these notes before Before. what we talked about at the beginning. And if you cannot trust a policeman or a teacher, you know, and, you know, there's questions as to how high up this thing goes how how far down does this rabbit hole go here in our area around the world because this is happening worldwide this show more than any that i've seen sheds light on that and i believe that it does a great job of not sugarcoating it but packaging it in a way that is at least you know you know digestible Mm -hmm. if this is in any way digestible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I this know. is this is this is hard material. This is not. You know, it really was hard to watch, and I think for that sake that I already have this idea of things going on in the world. Mm-hmm. So you're watching this, and it's just validating everything yeah. that you think and feel. And it almost kind of you know your stomach turns a little bit while you're watching it because you know it's real. Yes. Well, that concludes our look at seeing things. Uh, Join us next week. We're going to move on to episode three. And uh, as I said in the introductory episode to this, what we're going to be doing is um, we're going to be taking one episode a week. We're going to be looking at the show through that lens. But what also we're going to be doing is not necessarily like just the show. and, And I hope it's not more information next week on what we just talked about. But things and those ideas uh, and how they connect through through the show, you know, through lines like we talked about with the windows open up and there's the yellow. Mm-hmm. So the psychosphere is going to be invading Martin's world and home and we're going to get more to that. So things, maybe if you're doing a rewatch, you can notice those little things, but just then bigger ideas and as well as the people that are involved in the making of this because I think this is a wonderful talented group of people in front of and behind the scenes so well like we said uh not being funny and not trying to be debbie downers uh all satan claws is out there the roots of that tree run very deep and they are very big and uh not trying to scare anybody we found out this week that it was literally in our neighborhood so uh be aware be aware of what's around you. And for the love of God, if you see something, if you know of something going on, please let somebody know. Yeah. And if you know anybody who's been affected by this, be their friend, give them a hug, be there for them, because 
these bastards take something that cannot be given back. The best we can do is give those people, you know, love and yeah. uh, unconditional love and, and be there for them and help them put the pieces back together. I don't mean to get on a soapbox with this. It, this just, um, you know, you know, thank God I've never had anything like this happen to me. Mm-hmm. Faith, you've never had anything like this happen to mm-hmm. you. And uh, it just this is the one thing in this world that really, really pisses me off. Yeah. So, and I, I think it hits even more. It's it's even more horrible because I don't live in a terrible neighborhood. You no, know? you don't. So you automatically think these people are just, you know, the scum of the earth, horrible people. But they disguise themselves as pillars of the so community perfectly. You know, they live in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. They have these nice jobs, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. please watch who, you, who you're around at all times. I mean, right. you have to. Right. <laughs> Right. Makes and uh, and that's not to say go on a witch hunt. I'm just saying no, no, no. and I think everybody out there knows what we mean. Be vigilant. This this is not something that's just out there. We found out this week it's in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So um, in this show, I think, like I said, does a great job of illuminating this problem and yeah. the widespread problem that it is. So be safe out there. Uh, be good to yourself and to your neighbor, as Don Cornelius, uh, host of Soul Train, used to say. And um Join us next week as we as we move further into this series with episode three. As always, we have uh, our TV Tuesday. We are continuing our season-long watch of American Horror Story 1984, as well as Creep Show. And on Wednesdays, Faith, what do we do on Wednesdays? We have we actually have some fun on Wednesdays, don't we? We do. We have the late night proper, the late night fright proper. Late night, me. late night fright proper. Don't, there it is. Don't even know what we're called anymore. <laughs> there it is. Where we talk about horror movies. Horror movies. So, well. Um, <laughs> Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this. As I said, I know this is not uh, easy uh, subject matter to talk about or think about. And believe me, this is not something that I like to talk about. But uh, mm-hmm. as we said, um, you know, be good to yourself and be good to your neighbor. Faith, I believe it is time to, well, tell them to keep their Maddie Mac on a leash, right? I think so. so. Well, until next time, I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we want you to... Keep your Maddie Mac Mac on a leash. We will see you on the other side.